1: This is the Daily Tip on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Good morning. We are off and running here on the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. I'm Chelsea Messenger, Kate Constable in for Jenks because he's going to be on a beach somewhere in St. Martin for the rest of the week. But if you stick with us, we've got a great show lined up in a few minutes. We had a couple of big college basketball upsets brewing last night. And an overtime thriller in Tuscaloosa that we'll get into. Everything you missed in college hoops last night in this segment. Then at 620, catching you up on the latest NBA futures before games restart today after the All-Star break. And, of course, we'll do our daily NBA bets and college basketball plays. Plus, a little Justin Fields talk. The quote he gave about unfollowing the Bears on Instagram that made me question his dating habits. And you'll have to (laughs) hear my take on that because it was a weird quote Kate good morning first of all (laughs) did you ever date in the era of like prime social media because like I'm looking ahead to the story and I'm thinking okay I've been married for 10 years maybe I'm just an old person and I'm looking at this the wrong way I know you've been recently married did you ever have any stories where you know you were dating in the era of social media did anybody ever slip into your DMS or anything
0: um I, yeah a little bit towards the end also good morning chelsea great to be here with you today um <laughs> it was more so just like you could always see who liked people's instagram stuff right and so that was yeah. always like the telltale sign of oh my gosh he started to like all of her posts or she started to comment on all of his she's now following his family his sisters blah blah blah, blah. and that's kind of how you would start to figure out what was going on. So I never had anything where like, I I found out a guy that I was seeing or dating was slipping into my DMs and trying to, you know, do something like that. But it was always like, you could tell what was going on based on social media with people.
1: Yeah, I think it's just like breadcrumbs that you try to piece together, but sometimes it's a nothing burger. Cause I do this with other people since I'm married, I try to put together like other people's lives, you know, somebody that you kind of know on a tangent and you're like, they haven't posted any pictures with their significant other in a mm-hmm. while. Are they still together? So you like check the following and check, you know, what they've been liking. Uh, so it is interesting. And we'll get into the Justin Field situation later on the show, but it's definitely a fascinating topic just because of the quote he said. I was like, uh-oh. There's some girls out there. They're like, Oh no. Like he's not married. Is he? I'm assuming.
0: No, he's not married. I don't know. (laughs) I don't think he has a girlfriend. I don't know that for a fact because I mean, Hey, maybe he's messing around with all sorts of girls and just doesn't follow them or post about them on social media. That could, that could be, apparently uh, Equinemius St. Brown does that stuff all the time. He kind of (laughs) calls him out in the podcast he's like you do this you do it all the time you mess with girls you're not following like geez put the guy on blast
1: yikes right if you have any reservations or you're nervous about like your boyfriend or something or the guy that you're like currently seeing don't stay up for that part of the show because we're gonna have to get into it and now it's not only the bears that feel nervous about Justin Fields it's probably every girl he's ever messed with it's just like rethinking every single move uh but let's get into our bets from last night because it is the top of the show uh had a winner for me last night james madison my six and a half at marshall this number seems suspiciously low because uh, James Madison to me felt like they're on a different playing field or I guess playing court as Marshall and JMU won this one 84 to 58. So that line was not fishy despite the line movement going the other direction. As for Jenks, had the Leafs on the three way money line. That was a winner. Leafs won six to three over the Coyotes in Arizona. Uh, had the Brewers in the, or excuse me, the Bruins and the Oilers took the Oilers on the money line. A heartbreaker loss in that one. As Boston won in overtime. So a tough loss there. As for the Doxer, had Providence Xavier under 150. That was an L. Providence won 79 to 75. In the NHL, had the Sabres and the Canadiens under six and a half. That was a winner. Buffalo won it three to two. So for the week, I'm one and zero. Oh. Jinx won and three. Doxer, three and three. As we dive in to what we saw in college hoops last night, I'm Chelsea Messenger, Kate Constable filling in for Jinx. And off the top, big win for Double D's Penn State, Nittany Lions, a big upset over Illinois last night as eight-point dogs. Uh, stunning Illinois, 90-89. And the story of this one was Illinois had a six-point lead with 45 seconds left to play. What a meltdown. And I think this is a good primer for March Madness because – there are so many things that can go wrong when you bet on college basketball. I always have this conversation of like, what sport is the most nerve wracking to bet on? Kate, I think it's college basketball for thing- things like this, like the meltdowns and the things that can go wrong in a matter of seconds.
0: It, it has to be college basketball because you're putting your trust and a lot of times your money on like, how old are these kids? How old were you in college? Like 18, 19, 20, 20 year olds? I guess 18 to we'll just 22. Yeah, yeah, like the maturity level, The I, clearly Illinois panicked in that last 40 seconds to give up a six point lead. Like those are types of things you don't always see in the NBA or, you know, professional levels, but college basketball, no lead is ever safe and clearly teams can come back pretty quickly and it is a primer for March Madness. Like these types of upsets in the final seconds of games, final minutes, it just gets me excited for March, really. And, I mean, kudos to David and his uh, Nittany Lions. That was a big win. If you're Brad Underwood, I would imagine uh, that bus flight home was silent. Silent.
1: Oof. I'm looking at the probability chart. Uh, Illinois had a 96.5% chance of winning this game with 40 seconds left to play. Like, That's How does awful. that go so terribly wrong? But some credit is due to the Nittany Lions. And David was telling me that the reason they bet on Penn State is because they were playing at Rec Hall, which is like an older facility on campus. Bill was saying it's like 100 years old. They don't normally play there, but apparently it's more raucous in there because it's smaller. You can probably hear the student section uh, cheering a little bit louder. Kate, I was just saying this. I like facilities like this as opposed to like the big corporate venues that probably have the better facilities but I like the ones with a little personality and of course I think it gives you more of a home court advantage.
0: Oh for sure the smaller facilities when you know the student section is right on top of you it kind of gives you that old school vibe um, Mm -hmm. like back in like Hoosiers days and, and things like that so I agree with you I think it does certainly benefit the home team especially because it's an environment that maybe the home team has played in before or practiced in, or at least is familiar with where it's a completely new territory for all players on Illinois. I don't think anyone on that team has played, uh, at the rack. One thing in this game, though, Chelsea, that I'm just looking at, at the box score. This is crazy. 19 offensive rebounds for Illinois compared to just five for Penn State, Illinois out rebounded Penn State 49, 22, and the Nittany Lions still won. Like, that's that cannot happen if you're Illinois to have that big of an edge on offensive rebounding and rebounds in general and still lose that game that is a nightmare for Illini fans
1: yeah and we should give Zach Hicks of Penn State some credit because he made all three of his free throws after being fouled on a three with three seconds left to play we say it all the time free throws free throws Free throws practice your free throws because they are incredibly important in these close games and that's what you love to see. Can you imagine having Penn State on the money line and watching Mm. him make those free throws and like hell yes. One more baby. Hell yes. It's the best when they actually make their free throws.
0: I might have been if I had Penn sit on the money line, I might have been more nervous watching those free throws than that player was actually taking those free throws because that's so nerve wracking to have the entire game on the line, especially a comeback like that. But then to have money on the line and have to watch a again, 18 to 22 year old step up in that type of pressure situation and knock down those free throws. That's just a, a massive sweat all around.
1: Oh, for sure. Uh, Hats off to Penn State last night. Uh, The big dogs coming through in that one. Elsewhere in Tuscaloosa, Alabama survives overtime uh, against number 24. Florida should say Alabama's number 13. So it's not like Alabama is unranked. And they were big favorites at home. 10-point favorites uh, as of game time. I know this line steadily crept up. Uh, It was eight when we did the show. And what we were all laughing about was the total. It was 173.5 when we did the show. And we said, what on God's green earth, what are they doing with this total? We knew both of these offenses were extremely high powered Alabama, averaging 95 points per game at home and Florida pretty solid as well. I think they were averaging like 85 points, uh, per game, but still an incredibly high total that comes through simply because this game went to overtime, I think it was tied at 85, uh, going into OT. And this is when Alabama really pulled away. As soon as the jump ball went for overtime, that's when Alabama was sharp as a knife. Felt like they made a a basket on every single possession, and it just felt like you could feel the home court advantage throughout overtime. So Alabama escapes this one. Uh, It just feels like another night in the SEC. Feels like in some of these big conferences, it's really hard to look at home favorites that are, you know, laying these big numbers Even against teams that are not supposed to be on the same level in them as them kate did this one surprise you at all
0: you know i actually so i have not bet a ton of college basketball up until this point of the season i've been focused like mainly on nba and nfl only ended what a couple weeks ago so now i'm starting to turn my Mm -hmm. attention a little bit more to college and it's getting fun trying to kind of try and figure out what's going to happen in march this is a spot where i I, I didn't bet it personally. So clearly I wasn't that confident in it, but I thought Florida could keep this one close because Alabama plays Kentucky on Saturday. And so even though Florida is the ranked team to have to go to Kentucky on Saturday, a little bit of a look ahead spot for Alabama. Um, so I, I wasn't terribly shocked that Florida was able to keep this one close enough, but again, I mean, I didn't bet it. So clearly I didn't have that great of a handle on it. Um, I mean, 25% from 3 for the Crimson Tide. That's not going to get it done on most nights. Thankfully, I mean Florida only shot 30%. Um so, yeah, didn't t- didn't shock me terribly. The score being this high kind of did, but again, that's that's mainly because we had what was it um 22 points in overtime. overtime something like
1: that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's when Alabama came to life. Do you think these type of games are good for teams going into March Madness? Because they were talking about this on the broadcast, I believe. And I think Alabama has already played in four overtime games. I need to double check this because they said going into overtime, they said, okay, Alabama already three and one in overtime games this season. Do you think this is something that they can hang their hat on, you know, going into March Madness? Even though I'm looking, I'm not seeing any overtime games. So maybe this is dating back to last season. But do you think these are things that, you know, can prepare them for the perils of March?
0: A thousand percent. I think you have to have games like this. Like, if you're a coach, you want – obviously, you want to win the games, but you want a couple close ones down the stretch. You want your team to feel that Mm -hmm. pressure in the final minutes. You want them to – know what it feels like to be able to hold on to a lead and to control the game in the final a couple of minutes. So I, I certainly think even if a team is on like a massive win streak, yeah, you don't want to slow down the momentum. But these types of games late in the season as you're getting ready for March, I think are great for um, camaraderie of a team too to learn how to like lean mm-hmm. on each other in these moments. And, and who can you trust? That also goes into it for Coaches' rotations, you know, in close games down the stretch, is there a player that is a liability on the defensive end that you can't trust? So these are all great learning tools. Again, obviously these teams all want to win the game, but there are some silver linings that I think you can take from close games, uh, even from Florida losing in overtime. Like what went wrong in overtime that Alabama was able to go on that run? Those are things that now they can go back to film and look and try and fix as they go into March.
1: Yeah, I think the only thing that went wrong is they just didn't make the shots. Because I watched the overtime and they had some good looks. They had a three that like bounced around in the rim and bounced out. They missed a free throw. Same deal, you know, rattled around the rim. So I just think it was a matter of execution because Florida played, you know, the shooting percentages weren't great, but going on the road to Alabama, uh, where Alabama has been really good so far this season, pretty sure they've only lost two games at home this year. Like that's something to hang your hat on. Oh, they've lost one game at home this year, and that was to Clemson back on November 28th. So that was a tough road spot for Florida. So you're right. I think there is a silver lining in there somewhere. Well, hard to find a silver lining for Kentucky Uh, losing to LSU outright as six point favorites. Uh, LSU hit a floater at the buzzer for the win. That's by Tyrell Ward. He had 17 points in this game. And I feel like I never bet on Kentucky for this reason. I feel like they're always overvalued. And especially as favorites, you have to really like them if you want to lay the points with a team that is like a blue chip program like Kentucky.
0: Yeah, this, I mean... Again, I wish I was like, I wish I actually bet this game because now I come on here and I just sound like I'm like, oh yeah, I knew exactly that this was going to happen, but this was a complete sandwich spot for Kentucky. They had just come off a massive win over Auburn where they finally were clicking. It looked like they were playing defense and then they have again, Alabama on Saturday. So a little bit of a look ahead, but credit to LSU. They were able to get that rebound in the final seconds, put it back up for the win. Got to give it to the Tigers.
1: Yeah, we are so close to saying this is March. It's still February, but soon, my friends, after the break, time to turn the page and look at NBA futures. Stick with us. The Daily Tip will be right back on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Welcome back to the Daily Tip on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Good morning. It's time to rise and shine, people, because guess what? We have the NBA to bet on again. Done with the all-star break and into the second half of the season. In just a few minutes here on the show, we've got our questions uh, looming about some of the contenders in the East. And is there value in the MVP futures market? Who is the dark horse? Or mm, wouldn't say dark horse. I would say a horse that is just like a few lengths behind that maybe you could put your money on. Kate, we're both coming off vacations. I don't know how long yours was to Cabo, but it has to be the same feeling as maybe some of these NBA players. I was thinking about this. Do you think a couple days break has refreshed most of these NBA players, because I'm not going to lie. I only had a weekend trip and I am feeling like I am in a much better mindset because just because they're professional athletes doesn't mean they're not human. Do you think the all-star break was good for a lot of these players? Uh, It
0: depends on what they did in the all-star break. See Chelsea, you went on a nice family vacation, (laughs) took your daughter to Disney world. It was probably relaxing and enjoyable. I went on a bachelorette party. I was drinking at 10 a.m. every morning. Oh, like, that's right. I have
1: been, it wasn't a vacation. I have been
0: ex- it wasn't a vacation. I've been exhausted these last few days. Like, I almost took a COVID test yesterday just thinking, like, why am I so tired? I just got back from vacation. Well, because I got really crappy sleep for three nights, you know, just kind of ruined my body for Alcohol? four days. Alcohol, lots of that. So uh, it depends on if these players went went to Cabo as well. Maybe some of them were there. You know, Mexico, Cancun, were they partying? Were they drinking a lot? That was the tequila flowing? Those are the questions I need answered before I can answer your question. Because yes, oftentimes if I do take a relaxing vacation for even like two or three days just to like check out, unwind, I feel so much more refreshed coming back. I feel energized. I would be ready to finish off the rest of the NBA season. If I go on a a little bit of more of a party drinking Ender. late night type of um, vacation, which I'm sure a lot of these players did like they're they're in their early 20s, right? Um, mm-hmm. Then I'm a little bit, you know, groggy, not so refreshed coming back from break. So this is going to tell us tonight which which players had a party vacation and which had a relaxing one. I don't expect the defense to be great tonight. So that's uh, that's an angle that I'm going to look at in some of these games.
1: Oh, because I was going to ask you that. Do you think that we see more points or fewer points? Because I think it could probably go both ways. If you're saying, okay, these guys are tired. Are they really going to make all their shots? Because isn't it harder to make your shot when you have tired legs? But one would assume they're not working their legs too much. I don't know what they're doing when they're drinking. Hopefully they're sitting, you know, in a on a velvet couch, at least if they're going to the club. So you think it pertains to less defense?
0: In, in a couple games today, like the, um, the Jazz and Hornets game tonight, I think that total, I know the totals come down a little bit, which makes me nervous, but I, I don't see there being a whole lot of defense there because you have players that, like, even if you skip the gym, like your weekly gym routine, and then you get back into it, like the first day back is a little bit harder, even though it's like I've only been gone for a couple mm-hmm. days. We're getting back into game shape going to be hard especially in altitude playing in salt lake city so specific Ooh. games i think it pertains to a little bit more so than others um but some of those more fast-paced offensive-minded teams i certainly think we could see a lot of points
1: yeah anytime the hornets are involved like you say the over sold <laughs> you don't really have to explain yourself uh too too much if you're talking about points and a lack of defense when it comes to the charlotte hornets but what about the top dogs in the nba because the hornets Probably not one of no, those like, as we are there. looking. Nah, nah, I don't think so. Uh, as we're looking at the top contenders right now, we still have Boston as your favorites to win it all plus 260. And they went into the break pretty hot eight and two in their last 10 with a six game win streak and leading, I believe all of the NBA uh, in points differential differential sitting at 10 point one one. Then we have Milwaukee 6 to 1 to win it and 3 to 1 to win the East. Uh Kate, as you're looking at any of these futures odds, whether it be in the East or, you know, to win it all, is there anything that catches your eye?
0: I'm not totally sold on Boston winning the East. I know that the Bucks have Ooh. been a huge disappointment this year uh based on what we thought they would be with Damian Lillard coming over to Milwaukee, but there's been a, so much turmoil like first it was just integrating dame into that organization team offense mm-hmm. everything uh their defense sucked fired their head coach they bring in doc rivers they're 3 and 7 with him everyone's saying you know doc needs to take more accountability this this that so it's just been like drama turmoil i think at this point in the season The Bucs have to be able to turn things around at some point. Like, they're too good. They have too much depth. Their defense, I think, is going to start getting a little bit better. It's uh, gotten better since Stock Rivers took over, moving from the bottom half in the league to, you know, a little bit above um, league average. So I think if Milwaukee can figure out the defense, they're the only other team that I could see coming out of the East. Because with Boston, too, they shoot so many threes that you have so much um, variability there. Uh, if mm-hmm. they stop knocking down threes one game, like in a seven-game series, teams can can kind of take advantage of that because Boston isn't great at pivoting to other areas of their offense when the threes aren't falling. So that's a little bit of my concern with the Celtics, but I think the Bucs, I think we're going to see them turn things up just a notch um, over these next couple months heading into the postseason.
1: Yeah, and if we're talking about the East, we have to at least mention the Cleveland Cavs. Uh probably the hottest team in the East going into the break nine and one and sitting in the second spot six games behind the Celtics. I do like the Cavs, but what worries me is their offense. It's not that the offense is bad, it just feels like they don't have the the high potential that some of these teams have like maybe this is short-sighted of me but if you look at the celtics they're averaging 120 points per game the Cavs just 114 a lot of it is because their defense has been so good just giving up uh, 109 points do you see the Cavs as a threat to the celtics or are they more of a a regular season squad to you
0: They're more of a regular season squad. I really like the Cavs. I mean, they're great. They're 29, 22, and 2 against the spread this season, so they're great at covering. They're a great team to bet on during the regular season. I still think they're a year or two away from really being able to make a push uh, to win the East and and make it to the NBA Finals. They have a lot of – I mean, I know Donovan Mitchell's been in the league a while, but it still feels like they have a lot of youth, and they just don't have that veteran leader that you need – uh to win a championship like if you look at the past couple teams that have won all those teams have more of a veteran uh leader bringing them there I'm not sure Donovan Mitchell is that type of leader uh Evan Mobley's still young Jared Allen isn't in my uh, estimate like the most vocal leader on that team um Darius Garland. I don't think so. So they have a lot of great pieces. Their defense is unbelievable. Like if they can hang their hat on that the rest of the season and into the postseason, like maybe they can make it to the conference finals. I just don't see them getting past a team like uh, Boston or Milwaukee when it all comes down to it.
1: Yeah. And we had Gary Washburn on the show, who is, I believe either the beat writer or just the national NBA reporter for the Boston Globe. And he was telling us that the team that presents the biggest challenge in the East to the Celtics is the Miami Heat. And if you want to believe him, the Heat are 18-1 to to win the Eastern Conference because right now, oh, they've been, you know, saddlebagging as, you know, they did last year. And they're not looking like a team to beat because right now they're sitting in the seventh spot, just sitting at 30 and 25. But we know all the Heat have to do is get in, and they will certainly cause some worry uh, against whoever they are facing in the East. Let's switch gears uh, to the MVP conversation. Uh, Nikola Jokic, your favorite at minus 130. And uh, behind him, we have SGA, Shea Gilgis, Gilgis Alexander at plus 210, Luca at nine to one, Giannis nine to one as well, and Jason Tatum 25 to one. So the question is. Has Nikola Jokic locked this award up, or is there value in any other player?
0: I think there's a little value in SGA at plus two ten. I mean, he's second in the league in scoring right now, thirteenth in assists. He's carrying. I, I don't shouldn't say carrying. He's the best player on the second best mm-hmm. team in the West right now. The the Thunder are only, I believe, a half a game back or game and a half back from Minnesota in the Western Conference standings. So if they can if, if the Thunder can jump up to that number one spot um, at the end of the regular season That would be, you could definitely make a case for Shea Gil, just Alexander. And then also with Jokic, like, yes, Jokic deserves to win the award again this year. Minus 130, you're not getting a great price. You've missed any value. um, But his numbers scream MVP again. Is it, it's just going to be, is there voter fatigue? Like, we're kind of in the same frame where LeBron could have won it every year for a stretch of what, like six, seven years, but they're not going to give it to LeBron every single year. I would argue Joel Embiid won the MVP award last season because of a little bit of voter fatigue they didn't want to give Jokic his third straight. Now, had Embiid not missed time and and not hit that 65 game threshold this season, I think Embiid would have been your front runner for MVP. Um, Chelsea, if you want to look down the board a little bit, Giannis because I I think the Bucks are going to go on a little tear here, maybe at 9 to 1 you look at him. I love Jalen Brunson. I think we're maybe a year away from him being at the top of the board for MVP, but, uh, 80 to one, if the Knicks are able to kind of turn things up, I know health is, is a big issue there with Julius Randle and OG and Anobi being out, but, um, I think maybe you look at him. Um, and then Matt, uh, put in the chat, Donovan Mitchell, if he gets the Cavs in one seat, I think that's also not a terrible look for a, a long shot. Um, at 125 to one yikes he really dropped
1: <sighs> yeah it, i think it's gonna be really hard for somebody to pry it away from nicole Jokic, though yeah. because just like voter fatigue is a thing i think people will have a hard time clearing the nba postseason from last year from their memory do you get what i'm saying like the nba yeah. mvp is a regular season award But seeing the clinic that Nikola Jokic put on in the NBA finals and the entire stretch last season, and the fact that he wasn't given the MVP last year, they're like, no, we got to give it to Joel Embiid at least one year. Um, It makes me feel like this is the year for Nikola Jokic to reclaim the throne again. I do think SGA stands a chance. It just, at this point it feels like most of the value is kind of gone. Like, because value is always a relative term, right? Uh, earlier in the season, you could have got a much longer number on SGA. So, you know, plus 210, I guess there's something still left there. But for me, it does feel like Nicole is a to lose, not saying to bet on it. Because I think in the futures market, you always try to go for plus money. Because again, it is only February 22nd there is still plenty of time left in the season. Nicole Jokic is not an injury-prone player, uh, but, you know, things can happen. Knock on wood. Certainly not rooting for that. But when it comes to SGA, I feel like there is a more, a more valuable way to play this because the Thunder are plus 825 to win the Western Conference. Right now, it's looking like the Clipper show. And I think there are some concerns about the Nuggets. And the thing is, the Thunder have played the the Nuggets pretty well head to head. I believe they've won like at least three of their matchups so far this season. So, Kate, next question: Instead of taking SGA to win MVP, how about the Thunder plus eight twenty five to win the West?
0: Huh? Uh, I'm not sure. I love it, Chelsea. No, (laughs) I'm not sure. I love it. I. I just think a seven-game series between the Nuggets and the Thunder, I would trust the Nuggets a lot more having that experience, championship experience, winning the finals last year. Like, this is still a Thunder team that they've been so fun this year and so good this year, but they were cellar dwellers for, what, the last 10 years in the NBA? So in their first season back to, to relevance, are they going to be able to handle that type of playoff atmosphere, that type of high pressure situation with a lot of the young players. Like, like this is Chet Holmgren's first season in the NBA. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is his second year. He, his first season, he was out all year to injury. So his first year playing, you still have a lot of young players um, that you just, I I think you just need a little bit more. uh, What's the word? Veteranship. Is that a word? Am I just making that up? You need more veteran players. Experience. Um, experience would be the word chelsea yes thank you for that yeah. um and i i trust the nuggets i think the nuggets have kind of just been on cruise control a little bit through the first half of this season and coming into the final month or so i we're gonna see them turn it up quite a bit um the biggest team that i think gives the nuggets a threat is actually the minnesota timberwolves because they match up so well with uh yeah the nuggets. and they have the the, the size and the the length to slow down Nikola Jokic so Minnesota same same concerns I have with the Thunder of being maybe a year early but I think matchup wise they are someone that could challenge uh, the Nuggets quite a bit
1: yeah you're absolutely right the the T Wolves with the the Twin Towers Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns but the thing is the price is right you know because if you're looking at it from a hedging perspective you take the Thunder plus 825 or the T Wolves 825 all they have to do is make it to the Western Conference Finals and then you can play the other side and get yourself, you know, some guaranteed money. All right. On the other end of the break, I just closed my tab. So let's see what's coming up. Uh, College Hoops, top 25 matchups after the break here on The Daily Tip. Stick with us. The Daily Tip will be right back on the BetQL Network presented by BetMGM. <laughs> Welcome back to the Daily Tip on the BetQL Network presented by BetMGM. Lego! It's a Thursday here on the Daily Tip. I'm Chelsea Messenger, K Constable Filling in Food Janks. In a few minutes, we'll run down the top 25 matchups in college hoops, and there's only two of them. So we'll look at a couple of other good matchups in college basketball that maybe you want to throw a few bucks on kate during the break i am intrigued i heard you ripping pages out of what seemed to be a spiral notebook so you still write notes manually i don't think i've written anything down with the exception of like a check in years kate my handwriting is illegible do you at least have good handwriting
0: (laughs) i like my handwriting i do have decent handwriting it's not slop it's 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 like part cursive, part not. It's kind of just flows. I wouldn't say it's like Mm -hmm. anything great. I'm not, I can't do calligraphy. I would not feel comfortable like writing nice things, but writing stuff out, notes out, I remember things so much more clear because I kind of like a visual learner. So I remember like where on the paper I wrote this thing and it kind of like, all I have to do is quickly look down. I'm like, oh, top right corner. That's where I scribbled like this note, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, that makes me like, understand and comprehend what i'm want to say and what i'm learning and what i'm Mm -hmm. seeing when i watch games things like that so much better than if i just type it out or a lot of times like online i'll copy and paste stuff well then i'm not even i'm barely even reading it so i'm not comprehending it so how am i supposed to be able to regurgitate it back to you chelsea if i can't remember it so yeah, I have to write things down. I do some, sometimes I write in different colors too because like just the Ooh. color coding. Um, Yes, I have some fancy pens. Um, Color coding helps me remember stuff. So it's just kind of like an easier way for me to remember what I'm wanting to talk about.
1: God, you're such a studious person. Like I wish I was that person that, you know, had highlighters and little pull tabs, but I'm just not. Like I'm just not like an organized person. And I'm not someone who I will write things down, but I do it in my notes app of my phone because I always have my phone with me because like, that's the thing. Like if you are, if you see a TV, like at a restaurant and you see something on the bottom line, you know, at the restaurant, I'm like, Ooh, let's talk about this tomorrow. I'll type it in my phone. Uh, So the other thing is like, do you always have paper with you? No. Absolutely not. I have 207 notes in my notes app
0: right now. And a lot of those are like from years ago that I just don't delete stuff. So I'm with you. I totally, I write so many notes. In fact, I have notes for this uh, SMU FAU game that we're going to talk about in a little bit in the notes app and not on paper. And I wish I'm with you. I wish I was a, like, I sound, I'm probably making myself sound more type A than I am with like the colors. I just like, it's just kind of fun to switch the colors every once in a while. I don't have tabs. I don't have um, like highlighters. I bought a planner the other day. This is probably like the seventh planner I've bought in the last year to try and get myself to be more type A and write things down and like schedule out my life. I've filled out like two days of it. It was like a $30, $40 planner and it's going to waste right now. So I am not like um, all organized and studious like that. Uh, You're just catching me on a good day right now, actually.
1: (laughs) Ooh, because I think it's a personality thing. Like certain people have Mm -hmm. that personality where they want to do that. Like the people who put the spreadsheet up for vacations. I am just not that person. And I've been on this earth for 36 years. And I feel like I am not going to change. Uh, Guess how many notes I have in my phone? Just ballpark. You probably have like 400 some. 2,406. Chelsea. How do you
0: have enough storage left in your phone? I thought I was crazy. Do you ever delete your notes?
1: No, but it's nice. I can like just search things. I'm like, oh, you know, remember last year, there was a trend about the chiefs in the first half. Got it right here in my notes. I got the cloud, baby. (laughs) It's all good. Because if you get the cloud, it doesn't (laughs) matter about storage, right? Or at least that's what I'm banking on.
0: Yeah, but (laughs) do
1: you pay for extra cloud storage? Yes. It's like $7. I was like, yeah, okay. give me that. I'm not deleting stuff. I'm a phone hoarder. I probably do need to delete those, but I don't think they take up that much space on your phone. Like the pictures yeah. definitely, all, do, the definitely do. It, uh, yeah, the videos definitely do. But that's how I not. remember things. It's like my phone is always with me and you can just, you know, take yeah. it out. So like my thumbs have dexterity, but when it comes to writing, good God, you should see these checks that I write for Mother's Day out. These little old ladies are probably like, what does this say? I'm like, yeah, it's... <laughs> it's my name it's fine don't try to read it's it trivial. um maybe i need to work on my handwriting uh, but until then like if i'm only writing checks who cares and plus who writes checks yes. these days only the people at mother's day out all right let's look to the college hoops schedule maybe we'll win ourselves some money and maybe i can pay for my check for mother's day out that way uh looking at number three purdue hosting rutgers tonight and a big spread here the Boilermakers is like 15 and a half and a total of 139 and a half. Purdue feels like one of those teams that, I kind of said this about Kentucky earlier in the show, that it's a blue chip program. Well, maybe not blue chip, but over the last few years, they've been a very good team, because they have Zach e, Uh hard to stop that guy. But it just feels like you are never getting value on Purdue. So this feels like a massive number. Maybe they cover it, but for me in these type of situations, like it's never Purdue. It's only considering the other side or it's a no play. So, Kate, how are you viewing this matchup?
0: Well, Chelsea, let me uh, take a look at my notes here. Um, (laughs) Purdue and Rutgers both coming into this game off of win streaks that were snapped. I mean, Rutgers, four-game win streak, that's impressive, nothing really great. Um, But Purdue, nine-game win streak, snapped by Ohio State, who has not been great this season, First game since they fired Chris Holtman their head coach so that was one of those Mm -hmm. narratives of teams you know the first game after they make a big coaching change you oftentimes want to play on those Ohio State that was exactly what uh, happened but Purdue uh, earlier this season beat Rutgers already. They only lost by eight, though. So 15 points, it does seem Mm -hmm. kind of a lot. I do kind of think that Purdue is the right side here, even though that is a big number. Because in Purdue's losses this season, uh, they lost to Northwestern the very next game. They went back and beat Iowa by 19. They lost to Nebraska the very next game. They went and beat Penn State by 17. So this is a team that responds really well. Um, And in that game to Purdue earlier this, or Rutgers earlier this season, 15 offensive boards for Purdue, Six for Rutgers, Uh, Purdue was 8 of 13 from the free throw line, or Rutgers was, 19 of 25. So Rutgers was all over the boards, they weren't hitting free throws, and they were still within eight. I just don't see that happening again, where you're going to get 15 offensive boards and second chance opportunities against Zach Eady and this Purdue team. I would lay the 14 and a half with the Boilermakers.
1: I think it's too big of a number like I get what you're saying, but I just I can't do it. Uh, I was surprised to see this about Rutgers. Um, They have or what was I just looking at? I just had it up. Okay, here we go. Their defense number two and adjusted defensive efficiency. I guess I've been sleeping on Rutgers here uh, with their defense. I will say Purdue has a cheat code when it comes to down low. Zach Eadie can usually uh, do his worst against whatever defense he is facing. But still, it's just one of those things. I don't want to be laying big numbers unless it's against an absolutely terrible team, not a team that's number two, according to Kimpom, when it comes to defense. Let's go out West. Number 21, Washington State against number four, Arizona. The Wildcats laying 12, another big spread here, and a total of 150 and a half. A revenge spot for Arizona, already lost to Washington State earlier this season, but that was at Washington State. And this is a big game for the Pac 12. Uh, Washington State still has a chance. To, to win the Pac-12, if they win this game and the rest of their games look winnable, Kate, it's a big number here. Which side are you taking? Or are you looking at a total? I'm taking Washington State plus the 12
0: and a half. Um, yes, they already have a win against Arizona this year, but that was in Uh, at washington state so uh arizona's been vulnerable on the road this season so that one a little bit more understandable but i mean only a half a game back from arizona in the pac-12 standings a win for washington state would give them the edge in the race for the number one seed in the conference tournament based on those head-to-head results and also like a huge boost and strengthener for their ncaa tournament um resume because right now it's kind of crazy right now they're on the bubble. I mean, they should be getting in, but they're considered a bubble team or a bubble watch right now. Washington State, they've won seven straight, 10 of their last 11. Um, Arizona, 22 offensive rebounds in that uh, first matchup in which Washington State beat them by three. So, 22 offensive boards and you still lost. I don't understand this. I feel like I've said this for like six teams already today. How are you getting that many offensive boards and still losing these games? You should be Like, that should just be what wins you the game right there. Um, And then Washington State also went into Tucson last year and beat Arizona. So this is a Cougars team that I don't think is scared of the Wildcats whatsoever. I don't think they're intimidated. 12 and a half feels like a little bit too many. So I am playing the road team tonight, Chelsea.
1: Yeah, I like that as well, especially now that it's gone up to 12 and a half. I apologize. My A-team camera is doing weird things, so we got the B-team FaceTime (laughs) camera on my computer. So I apologize for that. But it does feel like just a case of too many points. Uh, In a game that's really big, I just feel like this is too many points. So I'd be with you on Washington State. So we can look at some of these other games. We have SMU at FAU. We've got Gonzaga at Portland. Kate, have you looked in at any of these games? Do you have anything you think better should know on either? You can pick your poison.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, we're going to the Notes app for this one. FAU, Ooh. one of uh, Division One's most erratic teams. Like, they're just up and down all the time. Um, they rank on Bartorvic three hundred and twenty third in consistency so you kind of don't know what you're getting night in and night out with uh, FAU this season and a lot of that I think is because FAU is a target on their back this year I mean you go to the final four all of a sudden teams you're a team that that opponents want to beat um and so I think that's been a little bit of an uh of a change for FAU to be a um targeted team versus the one targeting other teams. Uh, And FAU's defense has been kind of up and down all season. So this is a tough stretch to close out the year for the Owls. They have obviously this game against SMU. They play at North Texas, two games at Memphis. Right now they should be in the tournament, but if they drop a couple of these next four games, like they could potentially be on watch to get in. Um, But it'll be... uh, We'll see. I lean towards SMU in this one.
1: Yeah, uh, Kim Pom has it. Uh, FMFAU, excuse me, winning by four points. We shall see if it's going to be that close. Uh, hour two is on deck here on the Daily Tip, and we'll look at it baseball. An early look at the MVP race. Let's go. Hour two, heading your way next. <laughs>